Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, thank you for being an, an active listener on my podcast. You know, we're approaching a 70,000 listens. Today we talk about hyperparameters. So what a hyperparameter is, is you're looking at um, a different way to evaluate the parameters of the classifier. That's what you're really doing. So these are not parameters that are used to like find, for example, the coefficients or the uh, intercept on a regressor, but they're parameters that are used in the classifier itself, like the uh, estimators, like random forest uh, regressor, for example. Uh, it would, you would look at the en- estimators, the uh, max depth parameter, and um, uh, n split maximum and uh, let's see and then the number of features so those are our uh, parameters and then what you could do since it, it, each each parameter that you have to test with your data set will be increasing exponentially. So you have a problem if you have a large number of parameters is that you're going to have this exponential uh, growth in terms of testing your parameters to see which one produces the most accurate results. So uh, what you can do is use a um, a random a search random um, roads are treacherous this morning uh, search random CV and uh, it's it's using folds and then you pass in your classifier which would be your random forest regressor uh, you, you give it the number of iterations that you're going to go through to, to for each model and it will return to you uh, parameters it'll give you the max depth it'll give you the uh, number of splits it'll give you the number of estimators or the number of trees that are it's using for its classification and uh, the number of uh, leaves or features per per tree, and uh, those uh, can be returned back from the results of the the, uh, the CV. So the hyperparameters are looking for the best parameters that can be used with a classifier to get the best accuracy. And so you might say, well, couldn't I just use the defaults and that'd be good enough? Uh, you will get some good results uh, from just using the defaults. It doesn't automatically tune to the best uh, configuration. 
Well, I really feel like that it could. That it could uh, detect the amount of memory that you have, the number of CPUs, and then uh, uh, do some random sampling uh, on the uh, its own internal auto hyperparameters. And then it could adjust its depth of its trees uh, based on uh, discovery of the rules and accuracy and also the number of features that, uh, per tree. So, but for some reason that doesn't, um, they didn't bother to go into the, that level of programming to decide they want, they want the data scientists to force feed the parameters into the uh, search CV grid, random search CV grid. And uh, then um, get the results, create a data frame from the results, and then display them out, the parameters out, and then manually or through uh, list comprehension select the configurations that are going to give the best performance. So they probably figure it's, it's somewhat trivial if you know what you're doing to uh, to mine the uh, the parameters, and uh, but it does require you to understand the architecture of the classifier and also the definitions for each of the um, the classifier's parameters to understand what you're tuning, and that goes for XG Boost. Uh, logistic regressor, logistic re uh, regression classifier, where well, you're doing the entropy classification. Where it doesn't apply, I guess, is uh, deep neural nets. And, and maybe that's why deep learning has become so popular, is you don't need to do this hyperparameter. You do have to understand the topology of your network, but it seems to be able in those hidden layers to pick up uh, the information that would probably be deep inside of a tree. So if you're, it would be kind of interesting to do the comparison of a deep learning network to a random forest network and, and uh, show why the deep learning network performs uh, adequately or better than the deep forest network. And I, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a branch, and probably the reason why the deep forest network uh, will not perform as well as the deep learning network is that it's not dynamically changing those hyperparameters. So as you're, let's say you start with a small data set, and you train it, and you use it for several years, and it does very well. But then... Um, your company starts to grow and the data expands and new behaviors start emerging in the data because there's new uh, policies or new procedures that are going on and uh, and then uh, uh, you you'll see that that uh, there's uh, a change and so now you need to run your hyperparameters run it across your random search CV and then look to see what the results are 
and then maybe there's some new new parameters a new level of depth that you need in your tree in order to improve the efficiency that's human in the loop and uh, and for that reason you know there's always going to be constant analysis and constant uh, improvements that need uh, need to be implemented that's kind of a really kind of the challenge of data science is you get something that kind of works for a little while and you utilize it and then uh, you know you create some documentation around it but then the world changes on you and all of a sudden you know you have to adjust all your models to the changing world and most of the time you might say, well, I just have to leverage what I already have. I'm not like having to create the wheel again. I, I, I'm just uh, you know, doing some small adjustments to a few parameters, changing some of their coefficients and, and then getting the you know, improved results. And I see that with you know, individuals that do AI ML consulting is that yeah, they run the analysis, they uh, do a write-up, and then the team reads the analysis uh, and then implements the solutions and gets the you know, minor improvements. And those minor improvements are worth the investment for the consulting. Then it always then becomes this challenge where you're looking for smarter and smarter consultants with more qualifications. Why can't the software be the intelligent have the intelligence. Why can't you use deep learning network to do the hyperparameter uh, tuning? <clears throat> so based on, you know, maybe the collective experience of thousands or even millions of users, um, it can learn based on the shape and configurations and features and, and uh, you know, uh, area under the curve, the probabilities. Maybe use a uh, a rock curve or an area under the curve probability per feature you know do some step wising feature feature selection um, why couldn't the, the deep learning network do that and so you create this next generation of smart classifiers that are using AI to do the tuning takes out a lot of the manual mundane uh, discretionary decision making that has to go on in order to tune a, tune a model well you know it's uh, what you know maybe that's asking too much too quick for uh, uh, for the you know the public free open source aspects of machine learning but on the other hand, if the machine learning returns back a monetary value for the business, in other words, it improves the efficiency even by 3%, that 3% improvement in efficiency is so competitive that uh, uh, companies will immediately flock there seeking those uh, improved efficiencies. So, the, you know, that's one of the beauties of the open source is that it's constantly improving it's responding to uh, consumer consumer demand, and uh, as a result of that uh, response, there is uh, there's uh, innovation. And so when I look at uh, when I look at the world of AI and ML, 
as it was related when I first started studying it about a year ago and to, to today, um, I'm expecting more. I'm expecting the Python libraries to allow me to do multi-object classification. I want uh, to be able to do you know, real-time, not just image processing recognition. I want to be able to do video, real-time classification with bounded box. I want to learn how to do that. I want to be able to um, take my IoT device, connect to it, gather information in real time, feed that into my Python code through either Wi-Fi or RESTful calls and uh, get results back. Now, this is the real world of usage of AI. You can't just be running it from Jupyter Notes. Jupyter Notes is is just the beginning. You know, I, that's why I'm looking at Gdango uh, using RESTful calls to Python code running on a server, uh, feeding you know data through a RESTful API, and it running through a predictor giving me uh, an answer back. And so you want it to be anywhere, anytime, AI ML. That's got to be the end goal. And the company that comes up with the easy interface, whether that's Microsoft or it's uh, you know open source Python or it's sklearn, will be the dominant uh, concentration for skill because that's where the skills will migrate as demand for those skills and uh, salaries increase uh, or become available for, for individuals with that skill. And I've already moved, <clears throat> moved forward, you know, I've had years of database working with uh, store procedures and uh, object-oriented programming. And I'm looking now <clears throat> For even more, <coughs> more power and simpler, simpler ways to do things. So that simplicity uh, has a high cost. You know, it uh, requires lots of uh, investment to get sim simple answers. But the power of simplicity is speed. You know, and. Uh, that's one thing I've found where I've <clears throat> been working with the data is um, that uh, oftentimes the data is not easy to extract and then transform and then make uh, 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 the features aggregable. Because that's what you really want is to be able to identify what features that might be interesting to make predictions that might be useful, in other words, could have an impact, and then how to take the data that you have and to get it into the form that the AI and ML can consume and then train against and then predict. Um, there's also the idea of using AI to find anomalies. 
Now we've talked about, you know, primarily trend and classification, very little about, uh, you know, reinforcement learning, conditional learning. But I was watching uh, The Mandalorian and, you know, they were talking about the hunter robot and how uh, it was kind of learning through conditional learning that you had to be taught how to do things. But then it got so, because of its, you know, its GAT learning through the network, uh, you know, the Mandalorian says, well, this thing is a killing machine. You didn't trust it. Uh, and for the most part, it was. It, I mean, it, it uh, uh, one machine against the whole army, and it was, you know, much faster at identifying targets and shooting the targets than the, the, the physical army was because it could shoot multiple directions at the same time and uh and it could formulate its strategic paths faster and um so technology and warfare was illustrated there and it was definitely much uh, much uh stronger and uh that's one of the things that uh, van kremble talked about is that the relationship between technology and warfare and the uh annihilation aspects of of war All right, well, that's all I have time for, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.